This is the Ivy Retirement Podcast with Peter Laufenberg from the Ivy League Advisory Group. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. With many years of experience in the financial industry, Peter provides his clients and prospects with the information they need regarding social security, retirement income planning, wealth management, and much more. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful strategies to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals. And now, here is the Ivy Retirement Podcast with Peter Laufenberg. Hello, and welcome back to the Ivy Retirement Podcast. My name is Peter Laufenberg from the Ivy League Advisory Group. If you like more information about what you hear during the show today, give us a call at 866-360-2724 or visit us online at the IVAG.com. And while on the website, click on the podcast page to see our past shows and to subscribe to our program on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And please don't hesitate to reach out with some questions or or uh, if you're interested in setting up a face-to-face meeting or virtual meeting to discuss some of the things that we might have mentioned today or really just kind of start talking about creating a retirement plan, uh, please feel free to do so. So today I wanted to talk about um, Medicare. You know, this isn't necessarily a show dedicated to talking about investment and where to put it and, and overall. But, you know, when you think about retirement, there are two bedrock programs that go with, um, you know, with retiring. One is Social Security and the other one is Medicare. And, you know, a, a lot of my clients, a lot of folks that I talk to, there's a lot of angst about when do I take it? How do I file for it? Um, and, and you can work through those issues. But the other side of that, there's also a lot of angst um, about the programs themselves, right? Because there's we, we get bombarded with news uh, articles, uh, uh, politicians talking about these two programs not being able to be funded in the long term. They may go away. They might reduce benefits. So I thought it might be smart just to talk about Medicare, uh, some of the problems that really do face Medicare with funding and, and where things may be going and how to possibly fix that down the road. And as a retiree or a pre-retiree, understand that, you know, the, the way these the, this program, specifically Medicare, is set up may not always be that way. And, and to think about some of the things that might be coming down the pike as far as changes to the program to make sure that it is financially viable for uh, the next uh, generation and generation thereafter. So that's what I want to chat about today. Uh, but before we do that, I want to welcome in my co-host, Tony. Tony, how are you today? Well, I'm doing great. I mean, talk about exciting topics. Medicare. Let's have a party. <laughs> the crowd gets wild. Oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah. Yay. Yeah, I know. I know. No Medicare. sarcasm there whatsoever. <laughs> Hey, look, I know Medicare, again, is not the, the most exciting topic, but it's an important one, right? It, oh, it is very, one of the bedrock yeah, yeah. programs of retirement for, for uh, anyone who's getting older. And, and for sure. Um, as you get older, you need more health care, and, and Medicare is going to be the, the main support system to fund uh, health care as you enter and, and progress through retirement. So, yeah, it's not exciting. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know <laughs> lie on that one, but it's important. So it is important. In fact, uh, speaking of health care, so this morning, <laughs> actually yesterday morning and this morning, I woke up with like a crick in my neck, and it's just like. Uh, have you ever had like it feels like you know you need to like crack your neck or stretch your back and you know you feel it, the pops and then you feel better but I just have you ever had the crick woke up with a crick in your neck or something and it yeah. just feels like it's there but you can't get rid of it like it feels yeah. like you should be able to bend your neck one way or twist and 
it'll be fine, but it's just not. It won't go away. I've been there, yes. Yes. You, well, you mentioned angst and healthcare, <laughs> so I thought I'd throw that one out there. Uh, yeah, that's what I've got going on today. I need to do some stretching or something, I think. But other than that, uh, I, spring is here. I enjoyed some great weather this weekend. Got outside with the wife. We let the dog run uh, and uh, with our neighbor's dog while we all sat around outside just enjoying the yeah. weather. Well, it's great. It, you know, spring is certainly, we've turned the corner from winter to spring here in, in uh, New Hampshire is Maple Sugar Weekend. So all the sugar houses are open and they're doing all sorts of stuff. So, um, you know, that's a, a local tradition and as, you know, a sure sign that spring is here and it's good. It's finally nice to get out and fresh air and not have to bundle up in 18 layers to enjoy the outdoors. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But Seriously, you you were telling me before the show we're going to talk about some aspects of Medicare we haven't touched on before and that people don't normally talk about. And I guess about, uh, you know, funding the program, how long it lasts. I I mean, uh, this is going to be an interesting discussion. Yeah, and I think a great place to start, Tony, is kind of just throwing around some numbers, right? Talking about um, where things stand and and what sure. the the true issue is with Medicare. So, you know, if if you, there's a lot of articles, there's a lot of talk about, as I mentioned, subpar funding and increased costs. If if we look at things the way they are right now, it's estimated that potentially by 2026, Medicare's trust fund for Part A could completely run dry. Now, remember, Part A covers the the inpatient care that occurs at hospitals hospitals and, and nursing facilities, right? And Part A is funded through payroll tax. It's about 3% where employers and employees kicking in uh, 50% each of that, right? Just like Social Security, it's the same concept. Well, the the, the issue is um, essentially there's going to be a shortfall starting around 2026 of about a half a trillion dollars or $500 billion. And the question is, where are we going to start getting that funding um, as both people live longer and also the costs continue to spiral upwards? You know, that's not a, you know, our, our government <laughs> bandies about money like crazy, but a half a trillion dollars is, is a considerable shortfall to deal with um, moving forward. Well, okay, Peter, those numbers got my attention, but uh, what about parts B and D? Yeah, so remember parts uh, B and D of Medicare cover things like visiting the doctor and prescriptions and are funded through premiums and tax revenue. Now, there's some good news here, Tony, right? Well, there's good and bad news, but let's start with the good news, right? The good news uh, is that parts B and D are well-funded because their spending is tied um, you know, to expected yearly expenses, right? So things are adjusted accordingly with the premiums to make sure that those parts are going to be funded. The bad news is that even though the funding is adequate, it doesn't mean adequate doesn't mean that parts B and D are on solid footing, right? You know, expenses can rise faster than even what the yearly expenses are expected to be. And if that ends up happening, then those parts of Medicare also face a, a situation in which they're going to be underfunded um, uh, for a longer period of time, right? We're going through an era uh, an era of inflation um, that has really taken off. And so if, if things continue to inflate faster than expected, are for those premiums or the tax revenues, then these programs uh, or these parts of the Medicare program are also going to face some significant issues as well. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the question is, how are they going to address it? Right. I mean, Congress, I think it's like Social Security. We've talked about this before. Uh, It's essential for a lot of folks. 
and so Medicare needs a little help. Uh, what do you think should be done? Yeah, Tony, there's there's several things that probably could be done uh, if you look across and read a number of different articles. And I think the one um, or the first one that a lot of folks settle on when talking about how to fix the program or, or make it more um, uh, on solid footing would be changing the eligibility age, right? At age 65, which is the current eligibility, you can go on to these programs. It's very likely a, a simple change in that to age 66 or age 67 is probably going to have a significant um impact on the funding and also the expenses that go with the program. Now, that's not necessarily a, uh, a popular choice and is going to have to be phased in for different age populations. But the truth of the matter is this is not a new concept, right? The, this was done back in the 80s with Social Security. They changed the age, um, full retirement age, and they've bumped it up. You know, uh, the early baby boomers, the age was still 65, but those who are in the latter baby boomers, Gen X and even millennials, they're full retirement age is much closer to 67, if not already age 67. So changing the eligibility age probably isn't a bad idea. And when you look at just demographics, it makes a lot of sense, right? Um, workers, uh, if you go back to 1965, for example, when you retired at age 65, it was expected that a male, uh, a male retiree would live about 13 more years, whereas today that retiree is living 18 and 19, right? So by pushing the age forward one or two years, uh, it, it will have a, a solid, it will put the program more on a solid footing. Sure. Sure. And and that makes sense. So uh, I'm sure uh, at least some of our listeners, especially if you're in your late fifties or early sixties, the idea of that eligibility age going up uh, might cause some concern. So what are some of the pros and cons of that? Well, I think, you know, certainly the, the pros, right, as I mentioned before, is it's, it's going to be, it's going to make the the spending of the 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 money that goes with it now every year um, that you're older you don't need to spend money on it but essentially it's going to allow the program to be more so, you know uh, spend less money right because now a 65 year old they're not going to have to spend any money on them until they're 67 and, and if I was in that age group you mentioned the 50s and 60s I wouldn't necessarily worry you know it's it's just like they did with Social Security. They're going to probably phase things in saying, well, if you're age 55 or older, you know, we're not going to change the eligibility age. But, um, you know, the young as people uh, or as we get into younger generations, we're going to start bumping that up much like they did with Social Security. And so what are some of the cons to increasing the eligibility age? I imagine they're pretty obvious, at least. Well, I think the biggest con here, Tony, is for those who might be on the edge of the change of that eligibility, right? They're they're counting on starting things off at age 65. It's going to cost uh, cause a lot of more a lot more out of pocket expenses, right? Because if let's say you had built a retirement plan based on retiring at age 65, and now they potentially change that age to 67, you have to make a decision: Are you going to stick it? Are you going to wait it out another two years, or are you going to still retire at 65 and now figure out what you know? How are you going to fund health care? for two years. That's going to be the biggest disruption for people. Uh, I mean, ultimately, there's also some costs here, right? People are going to be paying for benefits that they you know, thought they were going to get, but then they, they'll ultimately it's been delayed. So th there's a lot of pieces that go with it. But the biggest piece is going to it's going to uh, cause people to probably to have more out of pocket expenses um, moving forward. Well, sure. And, and that's that is a concern. I think a big concern about the Medicare eligibility age going up is that it could leave some people uninsured, right? 
Yeah, I mean, if, if you had changed the eligibility age, let's say we started something in, in 2020, right? By 2026, uh, almost 4 million people would have been affected um, and could potentially be uninsured. So, you know, that's that's a huge thing to think about as, as you move forward and start, you know, wanting to tinker with the eligibility age. Yeah, there you go. Well, I, I, you know they're going to make some adjustments to keep it viable, and I, I think that's important to understand. So you're talking about some things uh, that uh, make, uh, you know, could potentially make Medicare more stable in the future. Uh, what else do you have on this? Well, so think back to when they they put the Affordable Care Act in in place, right? There was a tax that was often talked about. It was a, a essentially a Medicare contribution tax for a tax for high earners, right? And so this tax is a great way to potentially shore up the program, at least on the revenue side, right? Because currently that tax flows into the general fund. Uh, it just goes into the general fund where the the government can spend it any which way they want. But if they were, uh, if the money was actually truly spent on what the tax is called, um, and you divert that fund into um, essentially, uh, or that tax revenue into actually shoring up Medicare, it would solve uh, a lot of the revenue problems, right? I mentioned a, a half trillion dollar shortfall. Um, this tax essentially is on tax and on high earners, you know, families that make uh, uh, are married filing jointly that make a quarter million dollars or more. It's a three and a half percent tax, uh, about three and a half percent tax that's earmarked for Medicare. So, why don't we put that money exactly where it's supposed to go and help fund the program um, where there's already a current shortfall? Now, of course, you're trusting that the money's going to go where it's supposed to and, and be spent the, the way it should. Um, we're going to assume that's going to happen. And if it truly did happen, then it would put things on a, a, sure, a more sure footing. Sure. Did you say a more sure footing? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, anyway, wow! Trying to trying to add a little levity to the yeah. to the conversation, but seriously, I get the notion that you have to address rising healthcare costs and and prescription drug costs. That's essential, obviously. Yeah, Tony, and, and modifying advantage payments is the next possible solution, right? Medicare Advantage or Part C is money paid to private insurers, uh, insurers and Medicare and medical providers. You know, this program isn't funded separately; it's supported by money from Part A, B, and D. Now, Medicare pays Advantage uh, plans a fixed amount for each enrollee, and some experts argue uh, that the government overpays on the medical advantage, right? So, one proposal would be that these medical Advantage payments actually do a, a bid process, and, and every year you bid them out and have the the private uh, insurers essentially compete against each other, and whoever comes in with the lowest or the second lowest bid, that's going to be the amount that the government pays, and, and it, it would be a, a a strong possible way to lower the overall cost of the program. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. That's that's a good point. I get that. So what about prescription drug prices? I know that's something that a lot of folks talk about. 
Yeah, Tony, that's a great question. And this deals with Part D, right, which is the newest part of the program that was passed in the early 2000s. And, and believe it or not, right, this this pays for prescription drugs. But currently, um, the government cannot do competitive bids for prescriptions. The price is what it is. And so one of the ways to lower, potentially lower the cost uh, down the road or to the overall program is to allow companies to essentially, just like we talked about with Part C, actually uh, submit competitive bids for the various uh, thousands of medications that are covered by the program and, and then award the, the company who has the lowest or the second lowest price that help lower those costs. Because right now, I mean, there are some medications that uh, are priced at a certain level to, to recoup the, the research and development. And I think a lot of people understand that. But there's a lot of medications that aren't, and it's just a fixed price and no one asks any questions. So if... if uh, the law could be changed to allow uh, Medicare to force some competition to lower the prescription drugs for the vast majority of, of uh, the drugs that are covered, then that will go a long way to helping both the sustainability of the program, but also lowering the cost for the, the folks that need that medication. Well, Peter, you make some great points. And, you know, I've heard that the, it, it would save billions, uh, Medicare would save billions uh, over a 10-year period, like $79 billion, if they did that and were able to negotiate yeah. drug prices. So I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, it sounds good to me. And uh, my biggest takeaway so far is that there's no magic catch-all solution here for Medicare's long-term viability. But, you know, it's going to take probably a series of different actions, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think uh, if you combine, let's say, all the ones that we've talked about before together, it probably would save quite a bit of money. And, and I think the last piece I want to mention, Tony, is is an ongoing conversation about any of these programs, whether it be Social Security, whether it's a, a pension, whether it's Medicare, right? These are all defined uh, benefit programs. And, and there's an always uh, kind of down the political line. I'm not going to get political, but, but, you know, one side is very comfortable with the way that process works. Whereas the other side of the political spectrum always has the conversation about a defined contribution plan, right? That would be a plan where you put money into year over year, much like a 401k or, or um, yeah, 401k or, or 403b, and you build up a, essentially a war chest of money or, or over time, you, you build that up. And then when the time comes, you use your own money to buy, let's say, government-sponsored plans, plans that uh, insurance plans that have to compete against each other with the benefit being being that the insurance companies who are looking for your premium dollars are going to compete for them and therefore, you know, the basic uh, laws of economics, that competition is going to, you know, lower the price of, of any sort of health care, um, both in the immediate term, but over the long term. Now, of course, that would be a monumental change. Yeah, um, yeah but, it would you know, be. I mean, can you imagine the political <laughs> upheaval from that? Holy cow. Yeah, I, I know. I, I hear you. And it would be quite an upheaval. But the truth of the matter is, you know, think about this. Now, this is more of a private sphere. But, you know, we have made this shift from pensions to 401ks. Right. Yep. And it took 30 years. And this idea they've talked about in with Social Security as well. Um, even going back to 2000, when we talked about the Social Security lockbox, that whole concept where your contributions were your contributions. And essentially, you built up your own private account there. 
So this isn't a new concept. And if for some reason the program really is not looking uh, viable any longer, then it may precipitate some of the this more, I'll call it radical idea of, of switching it. And, you know, those who, again, are 50 plus, they may keep the program intact the way that it is. But if you're younger, they may say, OK, Medicare in the future is going to be something very different. And it, it might be a 30 a, a year process of switching it over. But ultimately, it's going to make a program that's far more solvent than it than it is right now well peter this has been a great show a great topic do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap things up yeah i I would just say this you know medicare as i mentioned uh just like uh social security or pension they're uh, they're all bedrock parts of of a a retirement plan right and and i will be the first one to mention you know i'm talking about medicare i certainly have a working knowledge i'm not an expert on the program but it's important to make sure you create some sort of retirement plan that takes into account how are you going to uh fund your retirement right where are the sources of income going to come from and also how are you going to deal with some of the expenses health care expenses are uh the most uh, are going to grow as you get older and become potentially one of the largest expenses in re- expense in retirement so, and Medicare is going to be a key component of that. So making sure you have a plan that is comprehensive and holistic that takes into account social security and taxation and market risk and Medicare, when you're going to take it and how you're going to take it is, is, is very important. And if you're interested in, in exploring that or even getting a second opinion on a plan you may already have, give us a call 866-360-2724 or visit us online at the IVAG.com. All right. Well, thank you so much, Peter. And listeners, that does it for today's episode. Peter, great episode. And we'll talk to you next week. Great, Tony. Thanks. Everyone have a good week. Thank you for listening to the Ivy Retirement Podcast. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound income plan. For more information, please contact Peter Laufenberg at the Ivy League Advisory Group. Call 866-360-2724 or visit them online at theivag.com. Investment advisory services offered through the Ivy League Advisory Group, LLC. Tilton, New Hampshire, 866-360-2724. A registered investment advisor registered in the state of New Hampshire and Vermont. Peter Laufenberg and the Ivy League Advisory Group, LLC, are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency. All matters discussed during this show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation.